Good morning, Southbridge. Good morning, Target employees. Good morning, apartment complex across the street. We have one more service at 1030. You're invited to come. Brock Creek Country Club, we'd love to see you out here. Hey, who knows? Can't hurt, right? Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And so we gather together and we celebrate Jesus Christ, the victory he offers us as believers in Jesus Christ, the invitation he offers us of those of us who may be wondering about God and about Jesus Christ. And so today, you can see in your worship programs that it's about stories is our theme. This morning, you can take a look there. If you're a guest with us today, I want to just welcome you, say thank you so much for coming. There's a little card in your worship program you may notice. If you wouldn't mind filling that out. And then taking you over to our first-time guest kiosk, which is right there in the back. You'll see the banner. It looks like a sail. There's a woman waving right now back there. She's not, if that doesn't blow away between now and when the service is over with, they'll collect your car back there, and we have a gift for you that we'd love to give you. And don't think to yourself, I know the southern mentality of, I, I won't take the gift. I'll leave it for someone else. And I'll say, no, 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 no. We want to give you the gift. So fill out the card, take it back there, and we'd love to be able to tell you we appreciate you being here today. And if you don't mind telling us how you heard about us, that'd be a wonderful blessing as well. And I'm going to open up God's Word with us this morning. Hopefully you brought a copy. If you didn't, the verses are in the beginning of that program. And I'll pray for us, and we'll open up the Scriptures. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together today. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the victory that he offers over sin, over death, over the grave, the freedom that he offers in our lives. I pray that everyone here would know that freedom. I pray that everyone here would know your forgiveness, would know your grace, would know your Son, Jesus Christ, in a personal way. And God, I pray that you'd speak through my words right now. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross and let your son Jesus Christ be seen, that we'd exalt his name, that we'd lift him up, that your word would go forth, that lives would be changed. I pray for those that know you, that you'd embolden us in our witness for you as a result of our celebration today. I pray for those who don't know you, that today would be a day of salvation. Please bring us to you, bring us to your cross, but then also to the empty grave where we see that you defeat death and you defeat everything that possibly could hinder us. The grave is empty so our lives wouldn't have to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, the theme today is stories. And so you see that in your worship program. You'll see different stories of different people. But let me start by asking you a question about stories. What's your favorite story? And since we meet here at a movie theater, I'll just ask you, what's your favorite movie of all time? Just think about all the stories that are out there. People make millions of dollars writing stories, whether it's books, movies, different things. What's your favorite movie? And there's a lot of different kinds. Maybe it's a romance movie for some of you. Maybe some of you it's a thriller or something with a twist, a chick flick that grabs your heart. For me, I like action movies. I've told our church before, one of my favorite kinds of movies are the the Bourne movies, Bourne Identity being one of them. And I just ask you this question, why is it that when I watch one of the Bourne movies and Jason Bourne starts running from someone, my heart rate increases? Why is it that when he starts fighting with someone, I get tense? Like, I know I can't beat anyone up with a phone book, Okay. I know that stuff. I know. I don't know what he knows. I know that I don't know that the guy in the third row is 200 pounds and can handle himself. I know I don't know that. I know I don't know how to run a half mile before my hands start shaking. I know, I know that I can't do all the stuff he can do. But somehow I enter into his story. There's something about a good story that invites us in. And you think about your favorite story, your favorite movie. If it's a, an emotional movie, a tearjerker, you probably get emotional in the movie. If it's a romance, even though you know you're not the people on the screen, you probably squeeze the hand of the person that's special to you when you're watching that movie. There's something about these stories that invite us in. One of the biggest stories this year has been Frozen. I don't know how many of you have seen it. We won't show any hands at this moment. I won't talk about that too much. We can let that go if we have to. But our kids, we've gotten hooked in. I like this, you know, I know. Now I know who's seen it. Uh, my kids have been hooked in. They love all the princess stories. And so my wife and I are out in the backyard the other day. We're watching them play with each other. They start acting out frozen. 
and our, our second youngest rolls over on top of our youngest and grabs her and says, the sky's awake, so I'm awake. And they, it's like they're in the story. They're wanting to live out the story. And today we're going to talk about the greatest story of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Easter story. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Not do you know the facts. Two women go to the tomb and the tomb's empty. There's some disciples, they have a race there. And in the Bible recorded for all eternity, we know who wins that race. It's awesome. But more than the facts of the story, have you been invited in? How has your story become a part of the Easter story? Because the Easter story invites us in. And so if you brought a copy of the scripture today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 22. And I'm going to start reading verse 1. It's verses 1 through 16 we're going to look at today. And if you have a worship program, if you didn't bring your Bible, that's inside your worship program as well. And what's going on is that on Good Friday, for those of you who didn't know this part of the story, on Good Friday, Jesus Christ was murdered. See, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. It's not honest to say that you think he's a good teacher. It's not honest to say that he's a good example or any of those things. Those aren't possibilities intellectually if we're honest because he claims to be God. And some people didn't believe that was a true claim. And so they murdered him. And he went into a tomb, and it was a very dark day. We call it Good Friday, but it was a dark day. His disciples were sad. They were terrified that they might be next. They were hiding out. They were being, like most of us would be, weak, scared. But on Easter, three days later, Jesus Christ rises from the dead. The tomb is empty. Some women do go there. They see that it's empty. They encounter the risen Christ. Other disciples encounter Christ. And then what happens in the book of Acts, which comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're looking in your Bibles, and the book of Acts, what ends up happening is those very same people that were terrified one day, a few days later are emboldened because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a few days after that, receive the Holy Spirit, God living within them, and they become bold witnesses of Jesus Christ. And they go on to proclaim to the whole book of Acts about the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you I know are probably skeptical about Jesus. I know some of you believe in him. Some of you may think that the claims that he makes are not true and Maybe you came today just to appease a friend or check stuff out. Maybe you're curious. Some people may think the church just wants your money. We don't want your money today. All we want from you is open heart, open mind to what God may have for you today. And what we have here in our passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 22 is the biggest skeptic of all time. His name is Paul. And Paul was a guy that thought Christianity was so untrue, he wanted to murder Christians. He wanted to eradicate Christianity from the world. He wanted to destroy Christianity. But three years after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 9, he comes into contact with the resurrected Christ. And then he boldly proclaims as one of his witnesses who Jesus Christ is. The Jews believe that being a Christian means you're anti-Jewish. Now we know there are people that are anti-Jewish all throughout history. Terrible things have been done to God's people, the Jewish people. Recently there's a shooting. If you see the news, it's awful stuff. And people thought that's what Paul was like. Being a Christian, he's speaking against the Jews. And so the Jews hated him and the Jews tried to kill him. And the passage right before the one we're going to read in Acts chapter 21 They were trying to beat him to death. So he stands beaten and bruised, and he's about to share his story. And the reason why he's sharing his story, this is 27 years after the resurrection, is because he wants to invite other people into the Easter story. So in Acts chapter 22, he begins to share it. And it really breaks down in this passage, verses 1 through 5, talk about Paul before he knew Jesus. Verses 6 through 13, talk about Paul meeting Jesus. And verses 14 through 16, talk about living for Jesus. And so we'll read it in sections. The Apostle Paul just being beaten almost to death, speaks to a Roman guard, says, can I share my story? And then he stands up in verse 1, and he begins to speak to them. Verse 1, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Silica, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just 
as just as zealous for God as many of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So here's Paul sharing his story, and what he's saying is, I was so zealous for my faith, being a Jew, that I wanted to kill the Christians. I'm just, you were trying to kill me, you were trying to beat me, you were trying to bruise me, trying to throw me into prison. I want to do those very same things to other people who proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thought it was a farce. I thought it was a lie. I thought Jesus Christ was a phony. And the interesting thing that Paul does here with his audience, these very people that were trying to beat him to death a few moments before, he's connecting with them. And Paul's got a unique story because he can connect with a lot of different types of people. Paul can connect with people that are very religious. If you grew up with a religious background, he can identify with you. He can identify with people who've done some awful things that might think you're too far from God. So he can identify with you. And that's what he's saying in these first five verses. He talks about his life before Jesus Christ. Think about how he connects with them. If you ever meet someone, you go to connect with them. What makes you connect is when you have something in common. If I bump into you after the service, and each one of us, those of you who hang hang around and talk after the service, you'll meet some new people. And there's normal questions we ask, right? Where are you from? What do you do? And, and some of you may ask me that question. I'll say, well, I'm from Michigan. And like a doofus, I'll pull my hand out, right? That's what we do. I'm from Michigan. No one else does that. <laughs> I'm from Florida. You know, I'm from Massachusetts. We don't use body parts to start showing off where we're from. But like an idiot, I'll pull my hand out. Now, if you're from Michigan, you know what I'm talking about. And you go, yeah. Or if you're from Ohio, you're like, yeah, they're idiots. You know, this is what happens. <laughs> but there's a connection at that point. And that's what Paul's doing with these people. You're saying, yeah, listen, if you're religious, I know what it's like to be religious. Look back, he says these endearing terms. These are people that were trying to kill him. He says, brothers and fathers, my comrades, patriarchs, people that I'm friends with, teammates, we share the same blood. Brothers and fathers, he says. Listen now to my apology, my defense. And it's interesting, if you were going to listen to a court case, this isn't like most court cases, he just tells a story. He's not, here's point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. No, he's, let me tell you about my life. And he says, when they heard him speak in Aramaic, a few moments ago he was speaking in Greek to the Roman guard. And here he speaks in Aramaic. He's literally speaking their language. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they started to listen. Now they're paying attention. And Paul said, I am a Jew. You think I hate Jews? He says, I am a Jew. That's my descent. He's identifying. He's connecting with them. Born in Tarsus of Silica. That's a Jewish town. And he's saying, I was born in a place that's a commercial center, university town, much like Raleigh, a travel center. People would travel through this area. We'll probably have a plane fly by here in a couple moments. And then he says, but I was brought up in this city, Jerusalem. So it's a lot like Raleigh. I'm from another town, but this is my place now. A lot of us relocate to this type of place. And and then he says, under Gamaliel, and that's like saying I went to the best school. See, I didn't know that plane was coming when I said it. He went to the best schools. And so you can pick which one, Duke, UNC, NC State, whatever. He said, I went under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. And so I loved the law. And I know the rules. And not only do I know the rules that are in this book, I know the other rules that come with the traditions of being Jewish. He says, I know all that stuff. Just as zealous, just as you're zealous for God, I was zealous for God. I, was the, I know the feelings you're feeling. I know what it's like to be religious. And so he's saying, those of you, Paul, he knows what it's like to grow up religious. And some of you grew up religious. Some of you know what it's like to be religious. And you learn the Bible and you learn the stories, you learn that stuff. And maybe your faith never became real and you just kept being religious. And you know if you're around religion, what ends up happening is religion becomes about a lot of rules. And not just the ones that God commands us here in the scripture. And then we got some rules there that are commanded to us. And those are given to us to have the best love relationship we can possibly have with Jesus. But if you're around religious people, you know they make up additional rules. 
I didn't grow up religious. I remember asking my mom one time what religion we were. We were riding in the car. We didn't go to any kind of uh, worship-type settings. And she said, we're Christian. I said, okay, that sounds good to me. I don't know if she said it because we were American or what, but she just said that, and so we thought we were. And I didn't know much about religion. I started dating a gal after I had trusted Jesus as my Savior uh, named Shannon. Shannon's my wife now. When we first started dating, she grew up very religious. I went to a religious school, religious you know, church, all this different stuff. And what I realized were there were a bunch of rules that I didn't know. And so if you're religious, you know what I'm talking about. There's all these rules, this code that you have that no one else knows, and you can't get it by just reading this book. Like we went to the first basketball game I went with her to her school. I walked up to hold her hand, and she goes, you can't hold my hand? I was thinking, I've already held your hand. What are you talking about? I can't hold your hand. She goes, we have a six-inch rule at our school. And I'm like, is that in this book? Like I'm new. I'm new to all this, but that rule is not cool. I wasn't, I wasn't liking that. There's all these different rules to learn. And maybe you had different rules if you grew up religious. But you know what I'm talking about. There are a bunch of rules that aren't in this book. Here's the problem with all that. You can keep all the rules and you still lack fulfillment. That's why so many people in our culture say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. They want anything to do with all those rules. And I'll just tell you at Southbridge, we're not trying to make you more religious. We want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. I believe the rules that are in this book that are laid out for us, like love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, are so that you would have the best love relationship with Jesus you could possibly have. Paul understood religion. Not only to understand religion, but some of us, we've done some stuff that we think there's no way God could forgive me for that. Look at what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way. And he refers to this way. He's talking about Christianity based on the statement Jesus himself says, I am the way. There's no way to get to heaven. There's no way to God apart from Jesus Christ. It's like Peter said, and Jad, our worship pastor, quoted earlier, there's no other name by which men, women, people, boys, girls, children, anybody shall be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so they were known as the way. And he says, I persecuted the way. I thought that was all a bunch of lies. I persecuted the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And then he goes on, you want to call witnesses into his trial? He says, take the most reputable people in the Jewish community, your high priest and the council, bring them out here. They can testify what I was like before Jesus. He says, I did terrible stuff. I was responsible for murder. I would, we, they'd go in and he didn't, to arrest people, it wasn't they went up to people's doors. Yeah, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. No, he's grabbing men in front of their families and dragging them off, beating them along the way on, in custody to bring them back to Jerusalem, to put them in jail, to then give approval for them to be flogged torture, see whether they'd confess their Christianity. If they did, then murdered. He'd grab women by the hair in front of their children, drag them off. That's the kind of arrest we're talking about. He's saying, I did all that awful stuff. And if you have a Bible, it's not in your worship program, but if you have a Bible, you can jump down in Acts chapter 22 to verse 20, and he says, when Stephen was being stoned to death, and I gave approval to that. That's the first person that was murdered for their faith, Stephen. And Paul's saying, when they're throwing stones at this man, and he's crying out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, that I stood there and I thought, yeah, that's right. And as he's fighting for his last breath, I'm thinking, throw more. Get him, finish that guy off. He should die for saying such things. And so Paul knew what it was like to do the kind of stuff that would make some people think, there's no way I could be forgiven. And so he identifies with the religious. He also identifies with those people that think they're too far. And what he says to those people that think they're too far is, you cannot send the cross. I hope you hear that today, for those of you who need to hear that. You can't possibly out the cross of Jesus Christ. You can't do something so bad that he can't forgive you. You can't do it so many times that you get too far. You can't wait too long to trust Jesus Christ in your life that you become too old. And here's Paul. He's already gone through school. He's already done these things. He's got a career. He talks about his accomplishments in another book of the Bible. And sometimes we can think to ourselves that we're too far gone from God. 
I remember after I had trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I thought that the Lord was leading me to tell people about Jesus as a, a living. But I thought, well, I'm too bad to do that because I've done too much bad stuff before. And I remember calling up the guy who had told me about Jesus and asking him, saying, hey, I, I want to tell people about Jesus on a full-time basis, but I've done some bad stuff. And I just started telling him illegal stuff and stupid stuff and moral stuff that I had done. And he stopped me before I even got through all my stuff. I wanted to tell him all my stuff. And he, before I got through all my stuff, he said, do you ever murder anybody? And before I could even answer that, he said, let me tell you about Moses. He starts talking to me about Moses, how Moses is a murderer. And then God uses him and has a relationship with him where they're face-to-face with one another like a friend speaks to a friend is how God would speak to Moses. He said, let me tell you about David and the adultery that he committed. Let me tell you about how he tried to cover it up with murder and with lies and more and more sin. And you go through the Bible and you just keep going through the Bible. And what you see is more and more of people that you would think, no way God's going to pick them. Because God gathers together the nice people, the moral people, right? You see a woman like Rahab's a prostitute. God uses her in the Old Testament. You know what ends up happening in the New Testament? She's in the line of Jesus. If you're going to pick somebody to be in the line of Jesus, you're going to pick a prostitute? God did. Because God can forgive anything. But Paul says, you want to look to an example? Look to my life. He said, I was killing Christians. In another place in the Bible, he writes to a guy he was mentoring, Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 15, he says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. There's full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to gather together the nicest people, the most moral people, the most religious people. In fact, in a place in the New Testament, Mark chapter 2, Jesus says to some guys that think they're really religious, that think they're really righteous, think they keep all the rules, he says, I didn't come for you. I didn't come for the righteous. I came to save sinners. He says, a doctor doesn't come to heal people that are healthy. He comes to heal sick people. In fact, if you think that you've sinned too far, you've done too much, you're probably closer to God than you realize because there's other people that think they don't need Jesus. And then he finishes that statement to Timothy. He says, a trustworthy saving statement, I came to save sinners. Then he says, of whom I am the worst. So if you think you're bad, you got nothing on Paul. And the King James says he's the chief of sinners. He's in his own category of sin. You can't even be in his category. T- Paul, if you start thinking about what he was really like, he was essentially the Taliban. He's killing people because they are Christians. He wants them dead. He wants to destroy Christianity. And God saved him. That's the next thing that we see in our passage. No one's too far gone. In fact, you don't even have to look at the Bible. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, to see that, we've got people in this church, I promise you, that have sinned more than you have. One of them is probably standing on this stage. Last week, we had a guy stand up in front of our church, confessed a 13-year cocaine addiction. He's a leader in our church. Had a guy I met with about a year ago, and we sat down. He didn't think he was even worthy to meet with me, much less, because I'm the guy who talks about God. He didn't think he was worthy to meet with me, much less meet God we sat there, he begins to confess all of his crimes to me, all the stuff that he's done. At the end of the meeting, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. He met the resurrected Christ. That's what we see happen next in our passage here. Verse 6, look at it with me. Those of you who have your worship program or the Bible. Paul starts to tell a story of how he met the resurrected Christ. He says, about noon as I came near Damascus, that trip he was talking about, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And here we have where the Apostle Paul gets invited into the Easter story. This is where Paul meets the resurrected Christ. Paul probably knew the story that many Christians will talk about as they gather together today that we're not looking at today. Of two women going to the tomb, the tomb's empty. And they think, well, somebody, something happened. The gardener took his body. You know, there's all kinds of jokes in the passage and all kinds of things that happened. Paul knew that story. You know what Paul probably believed? He believed the story that the Jews believed, that the disciples came and stole his body. 
And so you could tell them the story, you could tell them the facts of the story, and that wasn't enough. What needed to happen for Paul is you needed to meet the resurrected Christ, and so do some of you. The purpose of an Easter service is not for me to take you to 1 Corinthians 15 and tell you there's over 500 eyewitnesses, there's all kinds of testimony. If you're intellectually honest, you have to believe that it actually happened, whether you place your faith in Jesus, up to you. I could say all that stuff, but that's not what convinces you to trust Christ. You've got to realize he's inviting you into the story. See, what happens here in this passage right at this point, when the Apostle Paul is going and, and Luke tells us that it's noon, why does he tell him it's noon? Because it's the brightest point in the day. He's on the road to Damascus. It's noon. A bright light comes breaking forth. That's the glory of God breaking into creation. The resurrected Christ shows up four years after he's raised from the dead. And what he's declaring is, I got the victory over the grave. This is victory. I don't know how many of you have experienced victory before. Maybe playing a game, uh, whether it's sport or you're on a team of some sort, or board game, whatever it is, different types of victory that we experience. Victory feels good, doesn't it? I had uh, my girls came to the door a couple weeks ago. I was preparing a sermon. Uh, it was a Saturday. I'm up in my office. My Two of my daughters came up. They started knocking on the door. And we've got four daughters in our house. And my wife, I'm used to female drama. I'm almost immune to it. And so they start knocking on the door. I got the door locked. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, whatever. And they said, there's a snake outside. I was like, it's probably a worm. Like, I'm good. You know, I'm not coming out there. They said, Mom told us to come get you. And I'm thinking, Mom knows I'm working on the message. It must be serious. And so I go outside, and they've got their picnic stuff set up out there. My wife's standing there, and she goes, there's a huge snake over here in this bush. And I look over, and I see this big snake. The tail's about three or four inches thick, and I can't see the head of it. I don't know how long it is, but it's a monster. So I go, and I get my snake fighting tools out of the garage, right, which consisted of a, a shovel and a baseball bat. So I grab those, and I hand the bat to my wife, and I say, get your camera ready, because we're going to want this on tape. Because if, if I win, I want it on tape. If, if that thing wins, you might want to see the last moments on tape. So we got the thing going here. And so I, I grab the shovel. I hand her the bat. I tell her to get her phone. And I walk up. And I probably picked the shovel because it's the longest thing that was semi-dangerous. You know, I had a handle on it. And I could get far back. And so I touch the tail of the snake. It goes up this bush. I didn't know up was an option for snakes. <laughs> and I, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, that, that's not good for me. And so... I go over to the bush with the shovel. I, I shake the bush a little bit, and it takes off. It goes over in front of our porch. And so I go up on the porch where it can't see me. I'm still thinking about its option to go up, and I'm looking down over top of it. I'm going to cut its head off. Like, I'm thinking, that's my option. And so I go, I jam it down on the snake. And I hit the snake. I know I did. But it slithers out, and it somehow goes over back over to the bush. I just want to go inside at this point. And, like, <laughs> leave. Just be done, you know but I walk over to the bush again. She's taping now at this point. She's already seen a couple failures of mine. And I go over and I, I pin it to the ground. And it just starts biting the shovel. And I think, if I let go of this thing, I'm toast. I just went horror movie. Oh, bang, bang, bang. Just started beating this thing, okay? Blood's everywhere. Snake's dead. I drag it out of there. It's still biting a little bit. Crush its head, you know, really feel powerful at this moment. Victory! Story's not over. Story's not over. So I take a picture of it. I go put it on Facebook. First couple people say, gross, yuck, snake, you know, and all this stuff. A couple Christians pop on there, Genesis 3.15. I kind of felt that way. The, the Satan's described as a serpent in the Bible. I was working on a sermon. I felt a little bit like there was some spiritual victory that took place here. Then I get a couple people that are more um, wilderness-wise than I am. And they write to me, that was a rat snake. You don't kill those kinds of snakes. They eat mice, you know, that kind of thing. Let me just say something to all of you that are thinking that. Given a mouse and a snake, I don't like mice, but I'm killing the snake every time. 
It's victory. I felt good about that. You know, Jesus Christ is coming on the scene here to Paul, and you know what he's saying? You're fighting against me, Paul. You can't win. I've won. It's the resurrection. Who is it? Who is this, Lord? Saul, Saul. Saying his name. He's personal God. Saul, he says it in the Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Martha, Martha. All throughout the scripture. He invites us in. I won. This is a statement of the resurrection. This is, who is this, this saying this to me? It's Jesus Christ. You're persecuting. I'm not persecuting Jesus Christ. I'm persecuting these Christians. You know, they're my body. That's my church. We're one. You're persecuting me. And I'm alive. Because here I am. This is years later. And the resurrected Christ comes into Paul's story and invites Paul into his story and declares victory. It's not just victory over death, although that's huge. It's not just the tomb's empty. That's huge. It is victory. Genesis 3.15. The serpent's head will be crushed. That's Satan. It's victory over Satan. You know what else that is? It's victory over sin in your life. That's no matter what you've done, you can't out-sin the cross. Because on Good Friday, when darkness covered the earth and Jesus died, he was taking on the full wrath of his Father. He was taking on the full weight of the world. That was your sin, my sin, the sin of the very first person, Adam, the sin of the very last person that will be born, that will walk this earth, who knows when. He was taking all that sin upon himself. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated death. He defeated the grave, but he also defeated your sin and my sin, and he offers us new life. And what happens next in this passage is that Paul's told then how to live this life. And it's interesting, even though he has an encounter with the risen Christ, God uses a person to tell him how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at it with me in the next verses. I think I stopped around verse 8. Start in verse 9. It says, My companions saw that light, but they didn't understand the voice or who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. And said, Jesus said, Get up. Go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus. And so here he was. He was on his way to kill these Christians. And now he's being led humbled into Damascus. Because the brilliance of the light has blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law. A highly, res- highly respected by all the Jews. He was a Jew. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. God used tragedy in Paul's life. He was called Saul at the time. He often uses tragedy. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness. That's God's plan for every follower of Jesus. To all men of what you've seen and what you've heard, what we testify to is how we've entered into the Easter story, what God's done in our lives. And now, what are you waiting for is the question. Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. You wash your sins away by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That death that he died on the cross was so that your sins could be washed away, so that you could have new life. He says, and be baptized. You baptize, it's symbolism of that. We're going to do baptism services next week. If you want to be baptized, you can come, and it's a picture of what Jesus Christ did. As people are laid down in the water and raised back up, it's a picture. Jesus Christ went in the grave, he's raised back up. Oftentimes we'll say a statement that goes like this, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which isn't in your worship program, says this, when you're a new creation, the old is gone. The new has come. What God offers is new life through Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is ultimately all about. 
here we are in the spring, you know, trees are budding and flowers are happening. Praise the Lord, it rained yesterday for those of us who had allergies and the pollen's not here, but it's all this new life. That's all just a shadow of what Jesus Christ is offering us. But everybody doesn't have that new life. It's only the people that believe in their heart that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ can save them. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. I'll read it to you. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. And that's how you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how you become a part of the Easter story. That's what Ananias is saying to Paul here. You to confess Jesus Christ. And he asks this great question. What are you waiting for? There's a question I ask anybody here who hasn't trusted Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for today? What's stopping you from trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? In a moment, we're going to all stand and sing a song. The worship team's going to come back up here, and they can come back up right now. There's going to be some prayer counselors that are over underneath this tent, and if you're a prayer counselor, you can go over there. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, I ask you the question Ananias asked in this passage. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, then confess with your mouth. And the people over at this tent would love to help you do that. And you can go over there, and they're going to pray a prayer with you. They're going to pressure you into doing anything. Some of you may have questions about what I'm saying right now or questions about what I've said so far. If you want to ask somebody about those questions, we're going to have some people over here in this tent that they would love nothing more than to talk to you about that. And I'll tell you what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you their story. And they're going to ask you about your story. And if you want to become part of the Easter story, they'd love to pray with you so you can become part of the Easter story. So I'm just going to ask us all right now, we can stand together. If you'd like to talk to somebody about God, if you want to be baptized next week and you want to let us know that, you can go over there. Some people over there, they have some information for you about that. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't miss this opportunity right now to do that. And just make your way over to this tent. Um, there'll be some people over there that'll be glad to meet you. I'll go over there after we've sung this song, and I'd love to meet you and talk to you about those very things. Those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ already, I'll just challenge you right now. Be praying for those who need to begin a relationship with Jesus. That they'd have the courage, there's a boldness to that, to step out of your seat and to walk somewhere. And you wonder if everybody's thinking something about you. I'll tell you, if anybody's thinking anything about you, they're thinking, that's awesome. I remember when I did that. That's right, Chris. I remember when I did that. I remember when I walked that. I remember that's, a, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make. And so if you need to make that decision today, we're cheering for you. We're praying for you. We hope that you will do that very thing at this very moment.